Christ cannot pay for our sins unless he's a man. But his offering cannot be accepted unless he's God. He, he has to be God and man. We feel the need, the we need, need for praise. Sink your teeth into scripture and get a bulldog grip on its truth. Listen on some doctrine and get bulldogmatic. Here is your host. Well, he goes on to the uh, Council of uh, Chalcedon, which was in, uh, did I pronounce that right? Yeah. Okay. In 451 and talking about boundaries, he said these four boundaries were put into place that Christ must be fully God. Christ must be fully human. The two natures must not be so mixed together that either disappears into the other or a third hybrid nature appears or is produced. And the two natures must not be separated as to undermine the unity of the one person. So there again, we have boundaries. And if you go outside of these boundaries, then you're not what right. we would call a, a Christian or yeah. orthodox. Christian, right? An Orthodox Christian, a Christian within the boundaries of true biblical faith. Now, that's the key. So people don't think we're just making that. They didn't make things up. Mm -hmm. They unpacked the scripture relating to those subjects. Right. And they see that Christ cannot pay for our sins unless he's a man. But his offering cannot be accepted unless he's God. Right. He, he has to be God and man. Not one or the other. Not 50-50. Okay, I've heard a lot of good Christian people say that through the years. Well, he's half God and half... No, he's all God and all man. Right. And he must be both in order to, to be able to do what he has done in rescuing us. He has to know what it's like to be a human, but have a purity that it makes, him, makes him acceptable, makes his sacrifice acceptable in God's sight. He has to be... He has to be God. And, you know, when you think about it, I, I'm always amused by this because people who would sit back and say, you, you know, somebody made this up. How would you, why would you make up something like this and tell people they have to believe it? Yeah. Because it is so, first, it's completely different from any other religion on the planet. Right. And then you have this incredibly complex idea that God became a man and died. In fact, I, I saw a, a new new uh, sign message in reading Dr. Horton's book that uh, that said, uh, most people don't look for God on the cross, but that's exactly where you should be looking for God, right. on the cross. That's true. Uh, so, so you see that, and I just, I look at these things and where I can see how people would stumble over it. If you ponder just a little bit longer, you'll see the beauty and the wonder and the wow of it. This, what the scripture says about Christ. And that's what these councils did. They just pounded out the boundaries that were within the scriptural boundaries that were true to scripture. Mm -hmm. And those boundaries, uh, until the 21st century, where you have just some of the, I shouldn't say they're bizarre, but, but our standards, you know, in Christian America and some of those things you hear, you say, where, where are you getting that? Right. And it's because they're abandoning some of the historic formulations, bottom line. Well, Dr. Tillman talks about negative 
theology. And I've never really heard that term, negative theology. Is, uh, is that what we've been talking about, the placing of boundaries? Uh, uh, or Well, does he give a definition of that? Because that's... He, he says defining where one should not go with one's Christology. Yeah. Yeah, the, the culture would consider that uh, a negative, you know, because the culture, anything goes, everything right. goes, whatever I want. And that's, that's simply not, it's simply not true. Right. You're never going to get that in any area of life. Uh, I saw an interesting uh, video, I just, on social media, I can't remember which one it was, but it was a lady that was painting rainbow in front of this church. Uh, it said the the Church of Jesus on the front. This guy stopped and he he told he told her that was heresy, and he says, "Do you?" She go, He goes, "Do you, are you a Christian?" She goes, "Oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus." He goes, "No, you don't. You don't believe in Jesus, or you wouldn't be doing this. This is heresy." Right. So, this boundaries are in place to keep people from doing right. silly stuff like right. like that, like encompassing everything under the umbrella of uh, just love uh, uh, or yeah, whatever. Under the umbrella of love. Or, or just believe. Just believe and, and just have love. And uh, people don't, they just don't. Again, this is part what this is part of what I get off on with my uh, with people's failure, the dumbing down of our culture and failure, people's failure to talk about uh or to think things through. And you'll see banners in front of churches. And if you look at that banner a second, you say, uh, uh, there's a church I have in mind which says a sign out front that says, no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you're welcome here. And it sounds so noble, but if there, if nothing I'm doing away from church would preclude me from coming to church, then why do I need to come to church? Right. You see, it, it's it's a it's a disconnect. It's, right. Well, it, it, so I, I get off there, but yeah, there are boundaries in life, and and the many people in our culture would consider that negative theology, but it's part of it. The Bible, you know, I always try to stress this because I I agree that we should not portray Christianity as just rules and regulations, right. but there are. <laughs> Rules and regulations, and even in that passage of First Corinthians thirteen, love. It says, "Love does not seek its own. Mm -hmm. Love is not. It doesn't just say love is a wonderful feeling and love is love and everybody. No, it says there are boundaries even for love. Even for love, there are boundaries. Right. But but that's not something our culture wants to hear or think about." Unfortunately, that's true. Well, Dr. Truman gives a couple quotes, and I want to get your response to uh, two of those quotes. The first one is, he says, Christian orthodoxy is sometimes the sum of the least number of doctrinal difficulties, complications, and strange statements which one is prepared to live. You know, agree, disagree, or can you expand on what he's saying there? Why don't you read it one more time? All right. I'll try to read it a little bit better this time. <laughs> he says, indeed, 
Christian orthodoxy is sometimes the sum of the least number of doctrinal difficulties, complications, and strange statements with which one is prepared to live. Uh, I would I would say that if he's trying to highlight the shallowness of our culture, that's correct. That people do not want to think through. That goes back to what we you what I've said, what you just said about that that uh, video. I believe. I believe. What do you believe? Not, not do you believe what, whenever I, I tell people, whenever someone says to you, I believe in God, ask them, what, what do you believe about God? And typically, unfortunately in our culture, typically, well, I just believe God is love. Okay, well, let's define love. Right. Define love for me. And, and, and if you, if you, you know, many, many people will just get, they'll get angry because you've, you pushed them into a corner, so to speak. But yeah, the idea of the uh, penal substitution of Christ. This is my concern as a pastor, and what I'm trying to, to rectify in our congregation and hopefully disseminate it to beyond our, our... I know far too many people who will defend their belief, but they don't know, they don't know anything about the God of the Bible that they say they believe in. They don't know anything, you know, when you really, when you really ask them about it. So, yeah, some of the difficulties of the Christian faith, uh, people just, well, let's not talk about that. Let's not talk about it. Let's leave that alone. Let's not go there. And sometimes it's a valid thing because it is a heavy topic that you're not going to be able to discuss in a minute and a half. Mm-hmm. But it should be an app. There should be some place where we affirm that even though that's a heavy, hard Doctrine like the Trinity, that's what the Bible says, and that's what we affirm. Amen. Amen. His next quote, he says, Historical theology, the genealogy of doctrinal discussion and formulation, is thus an important part of Christian education and should be a part of every pastor's background. It should also be a central part of the teaching ministry in all churches. What's your response or to that? Give it to me one more time because right. I get two or three thoughts bouncing around at once and I need to... Historical theology, the genealogy of doctrinal discussion and formulation is thus an important part of Christian education and should be a part of every pastor's background. It should also be a central part of the teaching ministry in all churches. Okay, so I will, I will, uh, I will boil that down to a what I believe is true a a, a connection, a familiarity with what the church believes, how it arrived at those beliefs, how long it's held to those beliefs, and and so that people see that what I'm being taught on Sunday morning or Wednesday night or or in Sunday school class is consistent with the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. It's not just something I'm putting under the flag of Christianity and saying this is this is what you believe, but this is what the church has always believed. And again, I go back to my uh, the books behind me on the church fathers. I go back to the commentaries I use that where these people are quoted. I go back to the historical reading and a lot of good reading about the lives of these individuals. So you see that my, my, our faith. Our faith goes back. It's not something that started when America was founded. It's not something that was started when Israel became 
uh, a nation again in 1967 or 1948. It is something that goes back to Christ himself. Amen. And the, the historical the historical theology is what I would draw from that, and it's vital, absolutely vital. Well, Dr. Truman goes on and he talks about the Athanasian Creed. Now, I have to admit that I'm not real familiar with that creed. Um, <laughs> now, that's another one that we would never want to recite in church. It's very heavy, mm -hmm. and it, it has a good purpose to clarify and defend the beliefs of the Christian community. It was not written by Athanasius, but it is it is very heavy. It's a little, and I think he brings this out. There are a couple places where it's a little, uh, might be even too strong. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he points that out. I think it's in Clause 2 and Clause 44. Uh, did you want to go ahead and read those? Yeah, you or? go ahead. Okay. Uh, well, you can't understand Clause 2, I don't think, unless you hear Clause 1 as well. So okay. I'll read uh, 1 through 2. says... Whosoever will be saved before all things, it is necessary that he hold the Catholic faith. In Clause 2 say, says, Which faith except every one do keep whole and undefiled, without doubt, he shall perish everlasting. That's kind of hard for our culture to it, swallow it's, that, isn't it? It's hard, it's hard for the culture to, to swallow, but it's also, uh, it's, it's not, uh, I, I would say that it isn't fair uh, again, they were they were dealing with a particular thing that they were trying to address and correct. Mm -hmm. uh, today, we know that Christians struggle with doubt from time to time. We right. have questions that we feel like we need answers. That verse makes it sound like, or that not that verse, but that 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 statement makes it sound like if you ever have any questions about anything. That you're really not a true believer, right. and I know very few pastors who today would would, would say that. In fact, John Ortberg actually has a book called Faith and Doubt, and demonstrating how how you can't really have faith unless you have questions. Right. It is the questions that drive you to a deeper uh, foundation of faith. Okay, mm -hmm. so so that would be that would be one of those statements. Very hard, a uh, very complex. Um, to, and, and to misunderstand. Again, another way, another, another way that that verse would be difficult is that, again, when, they, when that was written, there was only one church. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, and today we have multiple denominations. And so that verse makes it sound like if you're not part of the Roman Catholic Church, right. you're not a true believer. Mm -hmm. And that would be, again, something we would not affirm. Yeah. Of course, uh, Clause 44, I'll read that. It says, This is the Catholic faith which except a man believe faithfully, he cannot be saved. So it's very similar to right. Clause 2. And, and again, it's open to that confusion about what they meant by Catholic faith right. versus what the Roman Catholic Church mm -hmm. today means. So it was just talking about the church, the body of Christ. The body of Christ. The universal, and, and, what we would yeah. call a universal. Church. And the faith that had been handed down, defended, upheld, affirmed by all the councils to that point. And, and again, setting the boundaries. You can't go beyond this point and call yourself a true Christian. Right. And that's what we're dealing with today. It's amazing to me. I, I hear those kind of statements. I hear people doing things. I hear people saying things. And they just say, well, he's a Christian, but he believes in reincarnation. Reincarnation what? is not a Christian doctrine. Nope. So, so you, you see what I'm saying? Those, 
their boundaries are necessary. The boundaries are necessary. And, and folks, if you're listening or watching, please do not ever say, well, I wouldn't go to that church because they have too many boundaries. That may be the very place you need to be. Exactly. Because the boundaries are keeping you in the faith. The boundaries are keeping you in the love of God. The boundaries are keeping you safe from idolatry. Don't be afraid of the boundaries. Amen. Amen. Dr. Juma goes on, he says that the uh, Athanasian Creed played a significant role in the life of the church, East and West. Uh, and it was used throughout those uh, early churches. And he says, for example, uh, it is part of the uh, Book of the of Common Prayer. Now, the Book of Common Prayer came in, in, into existence, I think, uh, right around fifteen, right around fifteen hundred, maybe a little bit before that. But that that's when it was first printed. Um, and I'll give a plug for Bible uh, Bulldog dot com. You can go there. I have several books of Common Prayer. And they're fascinating uh, to read through, and that's it's part of that worked in. And what that I think it was a, a main uh, purpose of that was printed so the rector or pastor could carry it around with him and and give like Lord's supper while he was in homes and things like that because Bibles in those times were like right. huge and you couldn't carry those around, so it made it a little easier. Uh, to carry around scripture in, in their pocket and form. Uh, it had creeds and, right. it, and it had prayers and, and things. And, and it was a what we would call uh, scripture condensed down right. into well, usable, easier usable form, maybe. Well, and also, uh, it, it's also very important because you hear people say this even today, and I understand the predicament, people say, I just don't know how to pray. Well, that's why you have the Book of Common Prayer, which right. gives you a written prayer to read through. Mm -hmm. And it can teach you how to pray, but also gives you a format to pray. Right. There is nothing wrong with written prayers. Right. There's nothing wrong with, uh, let's see, I, I can't remember which, which book I was in. It might have been Michael Horton, but he's talking about, people say, I don't like all these, I don't like structure, I don't like guidelines, I don't like... Well, then, what do you do with the Lord's Prayer? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because Jesus says, pray like this. He gives you a pattern to follow. And so the person who says, well, I just feel like it's not very genuine. It's not authentic. I understand that, and I hope you come to the place where you can pray authentic and spontaneous. Until then, use the formula that the Lord has given you. Use the Psalms. You you can read those, and that's another use for the book of of common prayer, but it also served to keep people aware, keep people aware what it is they say they believe. This is what this is what bothers me, and I I know that it, it can come across the wrong way sometimes. But you cannot know that what you believe is true if you do not read the Bible in which what you believe is revealed. Right. Uh, I I'm, in my research for the next series of messages. Can a 21st century human trust the Bible? Uh, there are polls and surveys. 93% of Americans, this is some years ago, owned a Bible. But less than half ever said they read their Bible they owned. Right. It's on a table. It's on the windshield of my car. I carry it under my arm into church, but I don't read it. 
then how can you know that what you believe is biblical? Right. How can you know mm-hmm. if you never read the Well, my pastor, does he read his Bible? Yeah. Is he quoting from Scripture when he right. preaches? How do you know unless you, you know? go back and exactly. check what your pastor says? Exactly. So that was part of the uh, purpose of the Book of Common Prayer. We're off track, but that's kind of the part of the purpose for that. So people were always connected with what they believe. Dr. <laughs> Truman says, like other ancient creeds, uh, this particular creed was not dealing with trivial right. matters, correct? Right. Very heavy, very substantive mm-hmm. uh, 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 defenses of the Christian faith. Right. That's why it's got such strong language, uh, but, but, but it was... It was dealing with heavy. If you lose this, in other words, if you lose this, it's all over. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will use again the analogy of, of an uh, airplane. All the electronics, all the uh, what is the what is the word? All the electronics is a word for that. <laughs> it's awful, and I can't remember the word. Uh, <laughs> It must be avionics. All of the avionics can work perfectly. The radios can work perfectly. The motor can be turning over in smooth rhythm. You lose lift and you're dead. Mm -hmm. That plane's coming out of the sky. It is not a trivial aspect. Right. You're you're unaware of it. You know, if you know how a plane flies, you you then you're aware that lift is operating at all time. But it's not something you can see. It, and, and, and if you lose it, uh, everything else can be working. You're going to die. So the same is true. This, this, this part of your belief may seem trivial. It may be th- something you think, I, it doesn't really have any relevance, but it's so vital to the whole picture without it. Mm-hmm. And these are the concepts. So, so it was dealing with those kind of heavy absolutely necessary things, even though we might look at it and say, oh, well, this is so tedious. If you've never read the Athanasian Creed, uh, I recommend that you look it up wherever you can find it, online, wherever, and read through it. Yeah. And it's there, read. Very yeah. interesting. And, and there are tons of uh, places out there for that. Yes. Uh, all kinds of religious websites. Uh, from the Catholics to Protestants to Eastern Orthodoxy, where you can see it online and read it. Well, Dr. Truman now comes to his conclusion. And uh, as I read through his conclusion, which was about like four pages, I thought to myself, Dr. Truman must be a pastor. He's got to be a pastor (laughs) because his conclusion is almost as long. But uh, all joking aside, he, he brings back the... I'm going to read through these real quick, Pastor, okay. and if you want to comment on them, please do. I'll stop at the end of each each one. The first one's kind of long. Uh, he said the first conclusion is the... Fa- and, of course, we're talking about the development of creeds through the early church is right. what we've been talking about. Right. And uh, he said, number one is the fact that the early church developed... Uh, creeds in the first place. Uh, The church as a whole came to the conclusion that binding creedal formulas were a way of attempting to establish a public criteria for orthodoxy. And creeds are simply a form of sound words, which that, of course, is scripture. We're talking about the Apostle Paul. Right. 
well, is that the end of that one? That's the end of that one. Okay, so again, it, go back in our time, go back in our minds, and realize that there was a time where uh, you could not, like in America today, you can go, you go to Walmart and buy a Bible, for goodness mm-hmm. sake. Yeah. But in those days, the, the scriptures were not that, you, you, they just weren't laying around everywhere. Mm-hmm. How was the average believer to be kept apprised of what they believe. Mm -hmm. This easily memorizable, recitable creed that was used in church. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here's what I believe. And and also the the question of literacy, who could and could not read. Right. Uh, So that you have, how do I, how can I be aware of what I believe when I can't read the Bible? You keep telling me read the Bible, but I can't read. Mm -hmm. How am I supposed to know the creed? The creed, the recitation of the creed, and the memorization of the creed. Here's what I believe. Right. Very, very important because uh, the printing press wasn't invented until the middle of the 1400s. Right. So, so access to Bibles, that, unless you went somewhere and hand copied it from someone right. else, uh, you didn't have a Bible. You so creeds yeah. were very, very important in right. the early, early church. Number two, he says the early church creed focus uh, was on the most basic building blocks of the faith. Yeah. Yeah. So you have, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. You do not have then a debate about whether it was seven literal days or seven periods of time. Right. The fundamental was God did it. Okay. Right. Uh, the same thing about when you get down to the end, he shall come again to judge the living and the dead. Mm-hmm. You don't get into, he's coming again in the rapture, and then there's going to be a tribulation period. See, those are, those are. here's the essential. Here's right. the fundamental. Here's what you really need to know. Exactly. Know this much. Mm-hmm. Okay? Number three, he says, they all address the very identity of God. They seek to answer the most basic question in Christian theology and the life and in the life of every believer. Yeah, fundamental. The fundamentals of who God is, what is he like, what has he done, why did he do it, mm-hmm. those those sorts of things. And number four, if you want to abolish the early church creeds, you're going to have uh, you are going to need to replace them with something straight away. Right. Yeah, so, because if you take them away, we have lost our root. We've lost the foundation. We have, we have no path back uh, you know, we're, we're, we're having this conversation in our nation about let's tear it down, let's burn it all down, start over again. Good luck. That's right. It's just not that easy to build empires. It's not that easy to build kingdoms. And it is not that easy to formulate the kind of faith that the Christian faith is. Amen. You just can't make that up. Uh, and so if we, if we lose it or throw it away or neglect it, what what are you what are you gonna what are you gonna build it on? If right. You you you've got to have that. You've got to have that foundation. And the, the other thing we should be mindful of is if our if our t- teachings are consistent with the creeds, which are the the path back to the early church, God will honor that. Mm-hmm. He's not obligated to honor something we create on our own, right? And make up on our own. And devise on our own. Peter, Second Peter, we did not follow cunningly devised fables 
when we declared to you the coming of the Lord, we were on the mountain. Right. We saw this foreshadowing of his glory. Uh, it's not made up. And if you do away with those creeds, what have you left with? Right. Number five, he says, the Lord has graciously provided us with a great cloud of witnesses throughout history who can help us to understand the Bible and apply it to our present day. Yeah, absolutely. And that, again, is why my own journey has taken me backwards. Okay. Right. Back to these people, back through the history of the church mm -hmm. to humble us and to... Um, to, to let us know that we, 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 we're part of something bigger than ourselves. Right. We're not alone. We're not alone. You have others that have gone on before yeah. and forth that have gone, uh, gone through the same, yeah. same things as we. Yeah. Go through it. And, and by the way, that's not just in connection to doctrine, which is essential, but also the characters who have contributed to the well-being of the church. Most of the people listening and watching uh, are familiar with uh, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound has saved a wretch like me. But how many people know that, that John Newton was a slave trader, that he sold human beings, and that when he came to Christ, it changed his life completely? Uh, we know the great hymns that came from William Cooper, uh, like um, that, that phrase, God works in mysterious ways to, you know, that most people recite that. But how many people know the struggles that William Cooper had in his own life where he could never come to peace with his position with Christ? How many times he tried to kill himself? He tried to hang himself one time and the knot came unloose. So it isn't just that we, we get our doctrinal, uh, we, it isn't just that we get the the assurance of the doctrine, but we get the glimpse of the people who lived that doctrine, right. who experienced those promises, mm -hmm. you see. And and what was the guy, uh, Spafford, who wrote, uh, uh, it, is well is it is well with my soul, and he's writing it on a ship at the point where a previous ship went down with his wife and daughter. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the, the strength of character. So it isn't just dry doctrine that this preacher 300 years ago. It's this, the experience of those people and the transformation that they went through. The past is alive in, in, in that sense and has so much to offer us. Amen. Number six, he says, of course, as Protestants, we do not believe that the ancient creeds say everything that a church committed to teaching the whole counsel of God needs to say to the world. Right. Yeah. And that's uh, that's a that's a again. It's a framework. It's an right. encapsulation. It's a summary. It's a boundary, mm -hmm. and within the boundary, then we can we can cultivate discussions about how God created the world. We can talk about eschatology, the end times, all that. Amen. But but here's the boundary. Here's the here's the area in which we're free to work. And finally, number seven, he says, for Protestants, discussion of creedalism cannot stop at. Uh, uh, Chalcedon. It must also address confessional developments in the 16th and 17th centuries. And it's to these that we're going to go to in the next chapter. And I'm looking forward well, to it's that. Going, yeah, it's going, it's going, this has been really good, good stuff. This has been good Amen. stuff so far. So, so I'm, I'm, looking at, I'm looking forward to that as well. Yeah. Well, Pastor, I was thinking as 
and I love the way you you you, you put it as uh, a journey backwards. I like I really like that. Uh, we need to look at our past, and, and we can learn through church history and yeah. how the creeds came down and formulated. Where we, like I've asked you this before, really stop and think about it. Where the church would be if these counts, councils hadn't come together, hammered out these creeds, right. and uh, summarized our faith in, in uh, the Trinity, the deity of Christ. And uh, every pastor on his own would have to sit down and hammer it out for his, himself. It's been done, right. and a pastor needs to, to study and see where it has come from, of course. But right. how much easier is it now for, uh, for Christians that... Our church fathers have done right. these things. Well, it's it's so very important, Scott. You're dealing with something so vital is because in the 21st century church, there's so much competition. Mm -hmm. This church is trying to come up with a program that will draw more people than that church. Instead of, this is the truth of the Christian church through the ages. Right. Stay with that. Stay with that. Right. And and stop competing. Uh, stop trying to be a superstar. Stop trying to be the best, the biggest, the brightest church in the community. Stop, stop thinking that if we if we get a bunch of people in church, God will be happy, while we're abandoning the truth He has given us. Right. That's you. You have to you have to see that, um, and that's again one of the things the creeds do. Preach the word, point people to to Christ. Right. Right. And uh, let God. Give it to God. Let yeah. God handle the rest. Amen. Well, as we look back, shouldn't we also look forward to the next generation? Uh, we have faithful fathers that have passed these things down to us. Shouldn't we be as faithful as our fathers and pass it on to the next generation? Absolutely. It's what Paul said to Timothy. I want you to, to teach men who will be able to teach other men. Right. There's this generational sense of take this truth, pass it to the next generation, pass it to the next generation. And as a as in my personal journey, at my point of life, that's heavy on my heart. Mm -hmm. How do I generate this to the next group so that if Christ, if the return of Christ doesn't transpire in my lifetime, that there will be a witness here. Right. In this community, through this body, through this church, uh, it is tragic. You go in our area, especially. We go by. You'll go by a church, and you'll see a sign that says, "185 years since the church was founded." It's almost empty, and what it's teaching is nothing compared to what that was once taught in those, you know, expounded from those pulpits. Mm -hmm. Share it with the next generation. Right. Share with the next generation. Share with the next generation. And again, I would argue the creeds help us to do that in the sense that they don't change. Here, here 20th century, we've got televisions, we've got radios, we've got automobiles, we've got airplanes, we walked on the moon. But these truths are unchanged. Mm -hmm. And these are what you pass on. These are what you pass on. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, etc. Amen. And I love to look out at the church and see children sitting in the chairs, the pews, whatever. That's the future. That's the, the future. Church. Yeah. church. Yeah. So praise God for, for them. Amen. Well, Pastor, as always, God bless God you. Bless thank you, man. you so much good. for your wisdom. Yeah. I, well, I thank you for the, so for the, for the uh, prayers and, 
and what you do in the church to make possible my uh, being able to take advantage of the many resources the Lord has given us. Amen. To be continued, we will continue this conversation in the next episode. And it keeps getting more and more interesting. Be sure to like and share this with your friends, and be sure to subscribe to our channel. Thanks for listening.